John chapter 7. Uh, We're going to be looking at verses 40 through 52. Decision, division. This is the reaction to what Jesus just said. Uh, Jesus makes a statement about coming to him and those who come to him will receive eternal life. It's a definitive statement. He's saying, if you do this, this is exactly what will happen. If you believe in me, he who believes in me will live forever. Will be given the gift of the Holy Spirit and be filled with spiritual life, a life that will last for all eternity. And now the crowds hear that, and that's a statement that the church is to profess to this entire world, and it's a statement that divides. Jesus Christ divides. We're going to be looking at the result of what Jesus says to the crowds in this passage today. So John chapter 7, verses 40 through 52. A new research has revealed that employees waste an average of $1,500 and an eight-hour workday eight-hour workday for every crucial conversation that they avoid. So they avoid these conversations because they don't want to enter into conflict. They don't want to cause division because of that conflict. These costs skyrocket when when multiplied by the prevalence of conflict avoidance. According to a study conducted by the authors of the New York Times best-selling book, Crucial Conversations, 95% of companies' workforce struggles to speak up, to give their opinions to their colleagues about their concerns or complaints or disagreements that they might have. As a result, they engage in a resource-sapping avoidance tactics, including complaining, getting angry, doing unnecessary work, and altogether avoiding the people that they don't want to enter into this conflict with. In in cases of extreme avoidance, the organization's bottom line is hit especially hard. Studies estimate that 600 people found that the 8% of employees estimate their avoidance costs around $10,000. So just because they're avoiding discussions and conflict, it's costing companies around $10,000, and more so when the conflict is drawn out. Joseph Grenny, an author of Crucial Conversations, says that it's time organizations stop viewing interpersonal competencies as soft skills and start teaching their people how to speak up and deal directly with conflicts rather than avoiding them. How many people like conflict here? Raise your hand. No, no one? You sure? Some people, okay, yeah, enter right into it. When I was in Long Creek, some people here may know, I entered into conflict at approximately 6.30 a.m. in the morning and left conflict at 2 p.m. when I would leave to work. Or if I got out early, I would get out of that much early. Why do, why do we hate conflict? Uh, because people, when they enter into conflict, they have to voice their beliefs, their concerns, their values, their opinions, and sometimes that makes people very, what, uncomfortable. And conflict leads to division. Opinions, beliefs, values, uh, the way that we express those things kind of make people step back from us. And therefore, 
we avoid that. They have some long-lasting ramifications. The decisions that we make end up causing divisions. Decisions lead to divisions. It happens every day. It happens in schools. It happens in work. It happens in families. It happens in politics. It happens in our culture. And it happens especially when it comes to the person of Jesus Christ. It is a division that you and I cannot avoid. It is a conflict that you and I cannot avoid. We have to expect it. And it is the result of the identity and the claims of Jesus Christ. This division that occurs is because exactly what Jesus says. He says, look, I'm the guy you're looking for. There is no other. There was no other. There will be no other. If you come to me, if you believe in me, if you believe in my suffering, death, and resurrection, you are going to have eternal life. That is the promise. And because of that claim, people are like, yes, absolutely. No, this guy is crazy. Throughout the Gospel of John, we see that John gives us two choices. It is an unavoidable divide and one that lasts into eternity. Either we believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Messiah, the one who God has sent to save this world, or we don't. We're going to be looking at this section today, and I divided it up into three parts. Uh, So we're going to kind of analyze this, look at the division, but also look at ways that we can work through that and look at ways that we can kind of make some bridges across this divide to be able to talk to people about the person of Jesus Christ. So three parts. The first part is the division, verses 40 through 44. Some of the people, therefore, when they heard what Jesus just said about coming to him, were saying, this certainly is the prophet. Others were saying, this is the Christ, this is the Messiah. Still, others were saying, surely the Christ is not going to come from Galilee, is he? Has not the scriptures said that the Christ comes from the descendants of David, from Bethlehem, the village where David was? So, because of this, a division occurred in the crowd because of Jesus, because of him. Some of them wanted to seize him, but nobody laid hands on him. The Patriots' stunning comeback win in 2017 Super Bowl was just one of the dramas of the big game. There was also the yearly conversation about Super Bowl ads. Everyone knows the big deal about Super Bowl ads. People pay $5 million for a 30-second uh, TV spot, it's a lot of money, I know, for the perfect opportunity uh, to showcase their, their brands. However, this year, some of the ads seem to trigger controversy around the divisive political environment that we find ourselves in. For example, an ad for Budweiser highlighted the company's founder, an immigrant from Germany. An article in the New Yorker magazine claimed that Arriving as it did on the heels of a tumultuous week with all of this discussion and division over immigrants, there was an outraged portion of the country that rose up against this ad. 
It was interpreted as a clear political statement and lines were quickly, quickly drawn. People either praised it as a rousing celebration of immigrants in America or else derided it as an example of brand, a brand sticking its nose where it didn't belong. Representative for Anheuser-Busch tried to do damage control and said, we believe that beer should be bipartisan and did not set, to cre- set out to create a piece of political commentary. However, this is how the New Yorker responded Despite what Budweiser wants us to believe, beer is not bipartisan. As a matter of fact, nothing is right now. The nation's mood demands that lines must be drawn and that everyone from the average citizen to celebrities to mostly faceless multinational conglomerates must make a choice, announce where they stand, and what they believe. This was a few years ago, 2017. Do you think it's gotten better right now? Absolutely not. Our nation, our country, even churches are what? Divided. There are divisions all over the place. And I am so glad that this passage came up right now in the mood that we find ourselves in. I'll tell you why I'm glad. Because it allows me to address some very serious concerns over the lines that are being drawn right now. Some of those lines being drawn by Christians and some of those lines being drawn by the rest of our nation. And lines that are absolutely unnecessary. Those are unnecessary lines. I'm not kidding. As I, as I prepared this sermon, there was one morning as I was coming into work. And in the period of an hour and a half, I heard of this division two times, one with regards to our nation and all the lines that are being drawn, all the divisions that are occurring, and one with regards to the church and how the church itself is dividing along these lines and all that it is doing is making this line, this biblical line, deeper. And it's making it harder for us to build bridges to those who find themselves on the other side of this divide. And we have to be very careful that we don't draw lines where the Bible doesn't draw lines, that we don't cause divides that actually hurt what God wants us to do as a church because that is exactly what we're doing right now. Not this church But many churches out there, pastors are using their pulpits to deepen this divide instead of building bridges to the ones God came to save. And it's it's making me crazy. Our mission isn't politics. It's not. Our mission isn't to draw lines and say, you stay over there, I'm going to stay over here. Our mission is to do exactly what we celebrate in a few weeks, is to enter into those people's worlds and say, hey, God did something for you. Let me share that with you. We have to be careful not to cause divisions 
where the Bible doesn't allow for it. There is a divide. This is it. And it brings us back to the mission of the church. But our goal isn't to deepen that divide, isn't to widen that divide. It's to try our best to build bridges where we can to those on the other side of it. That's who Jesus came to save. So we see that this is the nature of the division here over the person of Jesus Christ, his identity. So we're all, I'm all done now. I'm all settled down now. I had to calm down for a second. That's been boiling up all week, folks. All week, just building up, and I'm sitting there. I just couldn't wait to get that out. And it's just so important right now that the church doesn't lose its focus. Because those people who, who, who some churches are fighting against, they, they are the ones God came to save. He loves them. And you and I would find ourselves there if it weren't for His grace, right? If it weren't for Jesus. It's where we'd be. But if you want to see Uncle Al leave your dinner table and say, I'm going to go eat with the children. I don't care if they throw food at me or anything like that. I'd rather... Eat with the children and talk about Jesus. Bring up Jesus at the dinner table of the holidays, right? What do they tell you? Don't bring up politics. Don't bring up religion. You want to see a quick division in your house? Bring up who? Ask that question. Just throw that out there. Uncle Al, who do you think Jesus is? Is Jesus the Messiah? Excuse me. He's going to go right into the other room and eat his food. And we see the nature of the division is over the identity of Jesus Christ. So we kind of see three options here. Uh, three answers. Even though there's two, we see, we see three that are presented. And I think one's a little bit more, you know, convoluted, but I think it's there. So the three answers uh, that they give. So the first answer is people think Jesus is a prophet or the prophet. So this is the, the prophet that Moses is speaking about when he says someone is coming. You need, and like me, you need to do what? Listen to him. But they're separating the prophet from the Christ. So I believe in this case they're thinking it's two people, which is not acceptable. And people like to do this today in our culture. They want to elevate Jesus to a certain status. They want to say, okay, Jesus was what? A good man. Jesus is a good man. He's a nice guy. He's easy to get along with, you know, seem to help people out. They also say Jesus was a good teacher, right? Great moral teacher. Uh, a great moral example. Um, you know, they'll say, oh, Jesus, you know, he, he, he was kind of a little bit different from other guys. He was like a sage, you know, so they'll elevate him to that status. Guess what? That's not far enough. So Jesus was the prophet that they are speaking about, but it goes much more beyond that. The second one is the correct answer. They say he is the Christ. He is the Messiah. And we talked about that last week and the claims that he made. Uh, that Jesus himself says that he is God incarnate. He explains God to people, that he is the Messiah that the Israel, that Israel and the world has been waiting for. And that by believing in him, by putting your faith in him, you will have eternal salvation. Uh, the third one is when they say that, well, doesn't the Christ, isn't the Christ supposed to come from Bethlehem, which if they talk to him, they would know, where was Jesus born? 
He was born in Bethlehem. So he did come from Bethlehem, but they obviously didn't know that at that time. Uh, But they say he's from Galilee, kind of just like any other man. And that's what kind of a lot of people just say, you know, they just think that Jesus was just like any other man, or he was a man that kind of gave us an example of sacrifice. He gave us an example of humility. He, he points to the God within all of us, and that we can all be saved by if we just follow the God or the divine being in all of us. Well, guess what? Those aren't options. Those two, the prophet and a man, are not options. The only option that Jesus Christ gives us is that he is the Messiah. And I think when we're talking to people, we need to let people know that. Because people are going to say those things, and I really, really like what what C.S. Lewis says to this. Listen to what C.S. Lewis says to this. He says, I'm trying here to prevent Anyone saying the really foolish thing that people often say about him. I'm ready to accept Jesus as a great moral teacher, but I don't accept his claim to be God. Lewis says, that's actually one thing we can't say. He says, a man who was merely a man and said the sort of things that Jesus said, just like he said, just like Jesus said, come to me, you'll have life. A man who says those sort of things that Jesus said would not be a great moral teacher. He'd be a lunatic on level with a man who says that he is a poached egg. Or he would be the devil of hell. Lewis says this, you must make a choice. Either this man was and is the son of God. Or he's a madman or something else. He says, you can shut him up for a fool, you can spit at him, you can kill him as a demon, or you can fall at his feet and call him Lord and God. But let us not come up with any patronizing nonsense about his being a great human teacher. He has not left that open to us. He did not intend to. The claims of Christ don't allow for those options. And in conversing with people, we need to point them in that direction. It's like someone telling me I'm a famous singer. No, I've never, I've never made that claim, nor would my ability contribute to that claim being true. And everyone could vouch for that. But it's like people attributing an identity to you that you're just not, or nor have you ever claimed to be. Jesus claims to be the Messiah. And we need to point people in that direction. Working in Long Creek, we would have a phrase, kids would ask for things, or when I worked with autistic kids, they would ask for things, and I would say, that's not an option. You can't have that. That's not on the table. That's exactly what Jesus says to us here. But we see that it's not only the nature of the division, but the necessity of the division. And when we celebrate the birth of Jesus, we must realize that Jesus brought something with him. It was a sword. The identity of Christ, deciding on who Jesus is, and whether or not he is the Savior of the world, 
causes this division. Jesus says this, look, don't suppose that I have come to bring peace on earth. I did not come to bring peace. I've come to bring a sword, to turn a man against his father, a daughter against her mother, a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. A man's enemies will be the members of his own household. Here's the divide. And here is where you and I as Christians need to stand. Brings us to our next part because people are going to try to make us think that you and I are what? Crazy. We lost our mind. Hence the deception, verses 45 through 49. The officers then came to the chief priests and Pharisees and they said to them, why didn't you bring them? The officers answered, never has a man spoken the way this man speaks. The Pharisees then answered them, you have not also been led astray, have you? No one of the rulers of the Pharisees have believed in him, has he? But this crowd, which does not know the law, is accursed. I love this part. It's kind of humorous when you think about it. So here, the, so now we, now we see why. If you go back to uh, the hour, uh, why they couldn't lay their hands on him, we, uh, we see how, how God and Jesus disarm his enemies, literally. These guys are all coming. They're all like, yeah, we're going to go get this guy. And they're coming. They got their swords or clubs, whatever it is. And they're amassing, and they're, they're planning to arrest Jesus. Does, are, are they afraid that Jesus is going to, get his army and attack them? Are they afraid that Jesus is going to fight back physically? No. What makes them stop? His words. Jesus disarms them with his words, his teaching. What a great lesson for us, right? How do you want to do People are going to attack Christianity all the time. They're going to come out. They're going to be like, no, this needs to stop. Guess what? Disarm them with his words. Tell them the truth. That's what Jesus does. You know they were listening to what he just said, and they're ready to grab him, and all of a sudden he says, hey, come to me. And that invitation goes out to all who are listening, his enemies included. Come to me, and you will have life. Come to me and you will have rivers of living water in your innermost being. Come to me and I'm going to satisfy you. And then they're just like, well, what do we do? Bob, what do you want to do? I want to tell you. I don't know. Bob, what do you want to do? I didn't touch. I didn't. No one's ever talked like this. You ever hear anyone talk like this? They have this discussion. And then they go back to the elites, the people who think they're smart. And I, I love this because they're like, um, you guys never spoke like this. He has. The ones who are supposed to be the teachers, the ones who are supposed to be the elite, the higher educators, they go back and they're like, why couldn't you grab them? And they're like, we never heard anything like this in our lives. You go ahead and grab them. I don't know what to do with this guy. And it's hysterical because now, and now you see what happens. What happens? The elites get upset and they get worried. No, there's no way. You guys haven't believed in them. You haven't been led astray, have you? This can't be happening. We can't have this infiltrate our little power community that we have right here. Jesus, he's from Galilee. These people who believe in him, they're dumb. They don't know the law. 
That's what people think about Christianity. You realize that, right? Christians are dumb. We are not intellectual. We have been led astray. Do you know research has been done on this? Oh, yeah. This is a real thing. Like, this is a real argument. I hear it all the time that Christians are weak-minded. We're easily led astray. We go after our emotions, our feelings, our intuition, and we haven't used the reason or the intellect that God has given us to make a rational decision. You're all dumb. You should come here with dunce hats on and be like, I believe in Jesus. Right here. There's been a study done because people are worried. So it didn't have to do specifically with Christianity, but with religiosity. And they, and they did a test, and they took the atheists, the smart people, and the agnostics, which some of us were at one point, right? We, there are some who have right here, sitting here, that were in this camp. And they did tests, intellectual tests. Guess who scored higher? The atheists and the agnostics. Hence, people who believe in religion are dumber because they use their feelings, they go with their intuition, whatever it is. Do you know they also did a study for people who are, had a born-again experience? you know what happens to your brain? It shrinks. That's what they say. So when you get born again, you have now become dumber. Your brain shrinks, and, and that, these are the arguments that people are using. Listen to what this one guy says. He says, basically, if, if believing in God were logical and intellectual, if this were the case, all honest and intelligent people would accept that God exists. So therefore, because Princeton and Harvard and Yale haven't accepted that God exists, he doesn't exist. We've made the call, people. Do you see what they're doing? It's like a form of peer pressure, isn't it? Who wants to be dumb here? Nobody. And we do got to admit, though, Paul does speak to this, doesn't he? He says, not many of you were wise according to what? The standards of this world. We have to be okay with that. Because the wisdom of this world is actually foolishness to God. There are people being led astray. It's not us. But notice what the, what the rulers do here. There's a form of peer pressure. You haven't believed in him, have you? Because those people who have, specifically, they're referring to the law. Again, we see that Jesus is pitted against the law. And what's interesting is that really those who are under the law, those are the ones who are accursed. It is Jesus who fulfills the law for us in his obedience by us believing in him that you and I are no longer under that curse because he took the curse for us. Sounds rational. But it's okay if people say that because you and I don't live according to the standards of this world. But I, you kids who are going into universities and colleges, be prepared. Be prepared for this agenda. Because they want you to feel like you've made a dumb decision, that you've been led astray. And they get worried, just like these folks did, when they feel that one of their own might believe in Jesus. You believe in Jesus? That's barbaric. That's archaic. We've, we've evolved way past the point of such silly 
unintellectual, illogical beliefs. I tell you what, though. Street preacher, preacher and C.S. Lewis both comment on where the ignorance really lies. Street preacher says this. says, I've never met an unbeliever who has ever read one serious book of Christian evidence. C.S. Lewis commenting when they would engage the skeptics discovered a significant ignorance of the faith and proceeded to educate them. Folks, I found the same thing. Don't be afraid of attacks like this because they're going to come all the time because there is a fear. People are afraid Christianity is true because if Christianity is true, there's a decision to be made. They don't want it to be true. So they're going to make you feel stupid and dumb for choosing Christianity. That's okay. Present to them the evidence and say, look, have you ever really, when I talk to people and I ask them about their attacks or their skepticism regarding Christianity, I ask them questions. They're always like, no, no, never heard that one. Oh, did you know that? No, no, I never. And and we need to understand this is going to come, understand that people are just taking these sound bites from the culture, putting them on us, and then they don't know that Christians are going to engage them. And when they do engage them, they have no answer. And we need to work with them in that. So we need to expect such statements, but then we need to kind of do exactly what Nicodemus does here. So we can, the division is there. It's over the identity of Christ. The deception is there. They think we're deceived. We're saying they're deceived. And we need to be able to handle that and respond accordingly and take Nicodemus's advice here, which is, in the decision, verses 50 through 52. So Nicodemus, notice that John throws something in here, pretty important, who came to him before, who talked to Jesus. We remember that conversation, being one of them, being a ruler, but I also think that being one that is led astray, so to speak said to them, our law does not judge a man unless it first hears from him and knows what he is doing, does it? They answered him and they said, you are not also from Galilee, are you? Search and see that no prophet arises out of Galilee. It's pretty level-headed, the escalation tactic by Nicodemus here. So fundamentally opposing views and values between Democrats and Republicans, conservatives and liberals, have never been as visceral as they are today. We just talked about that. Fellow Americans, one who disagrees, uh, fellow Americans who one disagrees with are immediately demonized. And the result is that they're canceled, right? We don't talk to them. Uh, we divide with them. It's now very pervasive in our culture. There's a new program out, started in 2021 because of all this. It's called Bridging the Gap. It has been initiated by several liberal and conservative colleges, so maybe there's hope for the universities after all. The process and goal is deep listening 
an authentic engagement in humility and curiosity, trying to tear down seemingly impenetrable walls. The program is based on a book by Brian Stevenson. It's called Just Mercy. His premise is that people on death row, those who've committed those terrible crimes, are that are, are more than the worst thing that they have done. So there's more to those people than that one act. And I think we would all agree with that. An advocate writes, so I would ask for people to consider for the moment, because what he's saying is that we think that people who voted the opposite way that we voted are, that's it, that defines them, that's who they are. We therefore divide with them and we are quick to condemn them. He says, genuine listening is challenging but fruitful. It means silencing the noise, not just listening with your ears, but every sense, every cell in your body means listening to all that is said and unsaid, body language, tone, eye movement, full body listening. He said, this type of listening builds trust, opens doors, and offers a path to a deep discovery. And we've seen its effects throughout, yet people have a really hard time doing what? Listening. I'm a terrible listener. It was actually one thing that I really, really had to work on as a pastor. I always wanted to do what? Talk. That's why I'm up here, because <laughs> I like to talk. Um, and it took me a while to just realize that I, I'm not benefiting Jesus Christ and the gospel that I'm trying to proclaim if I don't listen. So before we get into Nicodemus's advice and the advice that you and I are going to give those on the other side of the divide... You and I need to heed this device. You and I need to listen. We need to listen to what the other side is saying in order to understand how and where we need to hit that argument. In the conversation evangelism class that we took, this was one of the most important steps in presenting the Jesus and presenting the gospel to other people was hearing their story. They called it listening for a sour note. Because many, many times you're going to discover people have either experienced something or heard something that was not true or gone through something that gave, put a bad taste in their mouth with regards to Christianity. And right now we're kind of given that bad taste anyway. And when you hear their story, you're able to identify, oh, well, wait a second. Hey, that's not, that's really incorrect. Or you're able to see, maybe they grew up in a legalistic church. You know how many people I've talked to that have turned away from Christianity and it's because they were raised in a legalistic, fundamentalist, kind of really hard, disciplined, rigid church. And then I tell them, you know, that's not the gospel. And you talk to them. This is the way that you and I can build bridges with other people. One author says that Christians should be the best listeners. How does that make you feel? Good? We should be the best listeners. Why? Well, first of all, the Bible tells us, right? What does the Bible say about it? It says you need to be what? Slow to do this. And quick to listen. This is why God gave us two ears and one mouth. You need to be quick to listen. Quick to hear 
what people are saying and slow to speak. Sometimes, sometimes unbelievers don't want to talk about Christians because they're just out the door and they're just like, oh, you believe in Jesus Christ, you're saving, you know you're going to hell. If you don't believe in Jesus Christ, you're going to burn forever for all eternity. And they're just like, whoa, slow down, boss. I, I didn't even have a cup of coffee. And our goal is to hear where they're at in their lives. In hearing where they're at and hearing their stories, you're going to get to an idea of why they believe what they believe. And you're going to be able to pinpoint where you need to target, right? I mean, and, and another thing is the goal of Christianity is they're not projects. People don't want to be seen as projects. We need to have a genuine concern for people and build a relationship with these individuals. Second, he says awareness. So we are most aware of how easily it is to be deceived. We should understand the power of sin and deceit and deception, shouldn't we? Better than anyone else. We should understand our need for God's grace in our lives, God's patience, God's long-suffering. But sometimes we think, you know, we, we get frustrated when unbelievers don't come to quick conclusions like we did. I mean, but that's just not the case because some of us, it took years for us to come to Christ. It's a process. And we should be aware of also the messages that this world is putting into people's heads every day. Every day. Thirdly, we have a security. And I think sometimes when, when Christians get on the defensive really, really quick, they see that, oh, well, wait a second, what are you afraid? Are you afraid it's untrue? Are you worried about that? You and I have a security, not, not just in our e eternal life, but we have a security in our identity in Christ. Because we worry what people think about us. And we get defensive and we, that comes out. And it shows a lack of confidence in us. You and I know where we're going. And also, we know who's working through us. So that's why we should be... And that, that confidence displays something that this world doesn't have right now. This world is like a big, fat jellyfish right now. And it's just all anything that they're just going like this, left and right. Christians have this foundation. We stand on these lines. We have these convictions. And people look at that and they say... Why are you different? How, how can you be so sure? I'll tell you why. His name is Jesus Christ. And then we offer to them what Nicodemus says. What, I love the way Nicodemus, because I believe at this point, Nicodemus either is a believer or he's really, really close to being a believer. And he de-escalates this situation. And he says, hey, wait a second, and we have this process in our own court system. We need to hear them out. So that's what we say to people. Hey, listen, have you actually heard Jesus, what he has to say? Our goal is to put this book in their hands. It doesn't matter. We, we, I can talk to them blue in the face to people about Christianity. I can give them some good arguments. I can talk about creation versus evolution. I can talk about Jesus and all the claims that he gave. Our goal is to let Jesus do the talking himself right here. 
This is my goal in evangelism. Well, I'm sorry. My ultimate goal is that people believe in Jesus. But I want to get the Bible in their hands. And just ask them that. That's a pretty disarming question, isn't it? Hey, have you, have you read this? Do you know what Jesus did? Do you know that Jesus was for, uh, for the, the outcasts of society? Oh, no, I didn't know Jesus was for the outcasts of society. Yeah, kind of like you are. Did you know that Jesus elevated the status of women in his culture? I, I never heard that. I thought he was one of those evil patriarchs. Did you know that Jesus healed people, healed the sick? Do you know he was concerned for those things? Do you know what he actually did? Do you know why he did it? Do you know that he values all races? That he values all life? Do you know that it doesn't matter what you did in your past, that Jesus, because of what he does, can forgive you? Let Jesus do the talking. Hey, hear him out. Hear him out. Listen to what he has to say and search for yourself. Now, they say search and go see that no prophet arises from Galilee. They did that. They, they came to that with a presupposition. It's not like sincerely search. See, they said search and see for yourself that no prophet arises from Galilee. Guess what? They were ignorant. Two prophets arise from Galilee, Nahum and Jonah. They didn't even know. Here the guys are, supposed to be scholars of law, and they're like, oh, no prophet. But guess what? If they did what Nicodemus said to do, they would have known Jesus wasn't from Galilee. He wasn't born in Galilee, was he? He was born in Bethlehem, which then, go back to what they said before, descendant of David, therefore being Jesus the Messiah. Tell them to search, but tell them to search without a, without a bias. Because those rulers had a bias. They knew, they're like, no, it's not going to be him. And they, what did they do to Nicodemus? They derided. They, they, it, it, was a, it was a kind of a condemning comment, wasn't it? You're not from Galilee, are you? Ah, inferior stock. That's what they're saying to him. And that's what happens when people speak up for Jesus, right? They make him feel stupid. We need to follow what Nicodemus says here and de-escalate the situation, put the words of Jesus in their hands and ask them to do a sincere search, compare Jesus with other people. Nicodemus isn't just giving advice. Nicodemus did it himself, didn't he? Nicodemus is saying this because he sat and he listened to what Jesus had to say. And I believe at the end of this, you're going to see, I mean, we know at the end of this, you'll see Nicodemus is a believer. But in the meantime, he deals with exactly what we're talking about today. When he brings it up, there's a division between him and the other rulers now. And that's because the Christ decision causes human division. It is absolutely necessary, and it is absolutely inevitable, 
And it is over the identity of who he is and what he can do for us. Keith Green wrote a song, 1977. It was titled, Song to My Parents. I didn't know this, that he, he wrote this song. Many of you, some people might know this. Uh, listen to some of these words. I need to say these things because I love you so. And I'm sorry that you get angry when I say that you just don't know. That there's a heaven, heaven waiting for you and me. And I know it seems every time we talk, I'm only trying to just make you see. And it's only that I care. I really only want to see you there. His belief in Jesus Christ divided him and his parents. So much so, they'd get angry. So he decided to write them a song. Tried to bridge, tried to bridge that division by pointing them to the person of Jesus Christ. They found themselves on the other side of that great divide. But that is one divide that you and I cannot avoid. Because when Jesus came, he brought a sword with him. Father, we just ask, Lord, that you would give us your grace, your Holy Spirit. Fill us with your wisdom and your strength in handling the division that is caused by our belief in your Son, Jesus Christ. Lord, we pray that we don't unnecessarily deepen that divide or widen it in ways that do not matter to you, to things and things that do not matter to you, Lord. Lord, and we pray that we can heed the advice of Nicodemus and listen to others and also suggest to them hearing what Jesus has to say. Lord, make us really good ambassadors for you. Help us in all that we do to seek ways that we can proclaim exactly what Jesus says, inviting people to come to him and being satisfied for all eternity. It's in his precious name we pray. Amen.